This is the Faith Debate, a theological roundtable gab fest, a free-for-all forum with faith community leaders wrestling over the truth. In less than one half hour, learn more about what really matters than what most others learn in a week. The Faith Debate is on the World Wide Web at WFMD.com, keyword faith. Are you ready for the clash of ideas? Are you ready for the sound of freedom? Let's get ready to rumble in this corner, weighing in with a master of divinity from Reformed Theological Seminary, the Faith Debate Master of Ceremonies, oh, yeah. <laughs> Troy Skinner. Thanks for tuning into the Faith Debate again this week. So much appreciated. We are in our uh, interesting questions portion of the Faith Debate. We're not having a panel discussion. We're, we're tackling questions that people have asked me over the last you know, year or so, and I've answered these in different contexts, and I'm repurposing the audio from those answers here on the show for you. So this week, the question is, what happens at death? Let's find out together. So what happens to humans when they die? At the moment they die, what is it that happens to humans? Well, it's important to define our terms. So let's start by examining, let's get some context and a framework. What is a human? What is it that makes up a human? Um, there are different aspects to our being that, that comprise our humanity, comprise who we are as individual people, as individual humans. And most of the people that tackle this kind of a question, there are, you know, always some wild-haired people on, on the edges of, of, you know, of views, extreme views. But the overwhelming majority of people who have these kinds of discussions about what is it that makes up a human, uh, generally fall into two camps. One camp being that there are two parts to who we are, and the other camp being that there are three parts to who we are. So sometimes it's called the tripartite or bipartite debate. Try for three, bi for two, tripartite, bipartite. More often you'll hear it talked about as a trichotomy and a bichotomy, uh, or dichotomy rather, di also being for two. So trichotomy, dichotomy is the most common language here. Again, trichotomists believe that there are three parts or pieces or aspects to our human existence, and dichotomists believe that there are two. Uh, so, are humans three or humans two? And what are these three and or two parts? So we can try to turn to scripture to find our answers there, and we run into almost an immediate problem as we start to do our digging into the Bible, and that is that scriptures on this particular kind of question have a level of imprecision uh, in the language and uh, imprecision in how the relevant terminology uh, could be understood and used. So, for example, in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, we read that we should love God with all our heart and soul and strength and mind. That's four. And then in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, we read that we should love God with our heart and soul and mind. That's three, omitting strength. And then in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, we find that we should love God with all of our, our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. And then Mark adds in verse 33 of chapter 12 that we should love God with all of our heart and understanding. So understanding is a, a fifth thing along with our, our strength again. So between these three synoptic gospel verses, we have five different words that describe the aspects of what we are as humans, who we are as humans, what are the, the parts and pieces that make us who God has designed us to be. 
five different words and not one of them is the word body. <laughs> and we know we have a body, so you got to throw that one in. But there's nobody anywhere that's a legitimately recognized uh, theologian who's got respect in Christian circles who's advocating for a view that there are four or that there are five or there are six or that there are more than that aspects or parts to being human. It's customary in Christian circles to conceive of mankind. Uh, it's most customary to, to, to think about us as consisting of two parts and only two parts and that they are distinct parts, namely body and soul or body and spirit. Now, trichotomists, uh, they are not the, uh, the majority in Christian thinking, but they're there. And the trichotomists say that there are three parts, the body and the soul and the spirit. So trichotomists uh, are viewing the body uh, as material and separate from the immaterial, the invisible, if you will. And they say that that which is invisible, uh, the soul and the spirit are two separate things. Uh, dichotomists would say spirit and soul are interchangeable, basically, and are, are one and the same thing. Um, one of the reasons uh, that I'm not a trichotomist myself is that it, it's my feeling, in try, having studied through this issue over the last 15 years, I haven't spent a lot of time on it, but the amount of time I have spent on it over the last 15 or 20 years, uh, it seems like the, the trichotomist view is mostly derived from roots that find it their beginnings in ancient Greek philosophy more so than in the Bible. So I'm a little bit concerned that maybe uh, some Christians somewhere along the way, highly influenced by Aristotle and Plato, Plato, imported that philosophy into their Bible reading as opposed to having the Bible be imported into their philosophical outlook as to who we are as people. Um, I wouldn't say trichotomists are heretics. Uh, I wouldn't say that we can't be in communion with them and that there's necessarily anything wrong with trichotomy, but you gotta you got to make a choice. Uh, well, got to, I don't know if you have to, but if you're going to try to make a choice, you're going to make a choice, and my choice would be uh, dichotomy rather than trichotomy. Uh, by the way, I have heard a nuanced position on this debate that uses all three labels in a, in a somewhat interesting way, and I find the idea to be kind of uh, helpful in the right context, say that there are two parts to each human, the body and the spirit, and that these two parts, the body and the spirit, in combination could be called the soul. And so the soul isn't a separate part, but it's a, it's a, a label or a moniker that's attached to the wholeness of what it is to be human. That's interesting, and actually in certain passages in the Bible, that understanding of how to interpret soul, and even the way we use soul, uh, like somebody goes out to sea and the ship sinks, and they say 150 souls were lost. We're meaning the whole human, right? The body died, and the spirit went to wherever the spirit goes. And so, in those senses, it can make sense. The problem is that's not always the way that the words are used, not how we're always defining a term, particularly in these kinds of debates. And so you be very careful if you're going to have that particular nuance to go out of your way to define your terms at the start of the conversation. So maybe it's more trouble than it's worth. But I mention it because I think it's interesting and can be helpful. So what's it all mean? Well, regardless of the view that we hold, we can agree that Christians are to love God with the entirety of who they are, whether two parts, three parts, whatever, all of who we are, total being, is to love God, to worship God. We can agree on that. 
And again, for our purposes, we're going to be holding to, primarily to a dichotomous view as we walk through some things this evening. Um, I think the big thing, even whether it's trichotomous or dichotomous, by the way, the big thing to take away here to keep in mind is that both of those views would be in agreement that there is a physical component, a material component, a something we can see and touch and feel, uh, and that there is an immaterial, a invisible, a, a, a spiritual uh, component or, or aspect or piece. Uh, and the trichotomists say there's two of those, but there's at least there's a material and there's an immaterial aspect to being human. And that these aspects are distinct, they're different, they're not one and the same, and yet, mysteriously, like so many truths, the hard truths of trying to understand in Scripture, there's, there's a mystery where there's a vital union between the two. We are not fully who we were intended to be, not fully who God made us to be, if we're not both body and spirit, body and soul. Um, kind of like you know, God is, uh, is Trinitarian, right? We have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all three are God, and yet God is all three. It's three and one, one and three. Similar with, with humanity, where we're, we're body, we're spirit, or soul. Uh, we're both of those, and yet both of those together are one. And it's hard to find the right language to combine that. Like the Bible, it's written by human authors and also written by God. Which one is it? Yes. It's kind of the same thing. Are we, are, are, are we, uh, are we one? Are we two? Yes. Um, so keep that in mind. The unity and duality, the duality and unity is an important piece of what we are. So why this all matters? This is a long setup, I know, to answering the question for today. Why is, why does this all matter? on the question of what happens to us immediately when we die. Well, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says, The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. That's the, that's the material, right? the physical, the, you can see it and touch it part. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's the spirit, the immaterial, the thing you can't see. And man became a living being. And then this particular verse, actually Genesis chapter uh, 2, verse 7 uh, we find a kind of a very short commentary on that verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7, where it says that dust, the material, the physical part, returns to the ground from which it came, and the spirit, that breath of life that God breathed in, returns to God who gave it. And so you can see that when we die, something happens to both parts of who we are in union. And uh, those are both Old Testament uh, references in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, we're told, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And so, understanding that there's these different aspects or pieces or, or, or parts to being human directly relates to what happens when we die, because something happens when we die physically, and something happens when we die spiritually. So that's why we have to make, understand and get that clarified up front. Um, so the Lord makes a plane. A person has an entity that men may kill, the body, the soma uh, in, in the Greek. Uh, the body can be killed. You know, my neighbor could come over here and could kill my body. Uh, I could hit by a bus tomorrow, and the bus could kill my body. Um, but the bus can't 
kill my soul. My neighbor can't come kill my soul. Although there's somebody famously right now, the, uh, the, the wife of Elon Musk, what's her name? The singer lady, artist lady. She's, uh, she's gonna, she's gonna try to auction off her soul. So you could buy, you could buy her soul, she thinks. Um, anyway. But she, she's not really in control of that. And nobody could kill her soul, except the one who gave her her soul, gave her that life spirit, that there's an entity that, uh, that men cannot kill, and that would be the immaterial part, the, the soul, or in the Greek, the, the psyche. So, I'm going to read a couple of, uh, of, of scriptures here that also lend to what we're talking about, and then we're going to do kind of a, a round robin of verse reading. This is just a potpourri of relevant verses. These are the kinds of verses that when you read them, they help to reinforce or inform or call to mind the kinds of things we're talking about this evening. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the first 10 verses in chapter 5 say, Now we know that if the earthly tent, the body that we live in, is destroyed, we have a building from God, that is the resurrection body, uh, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we, our souls, will not be found naked as long as we are at home in the body. We are away from the Lord. We would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. So here we can see that the body is the person and the spirit or the soul is the person and the two together are the person. We can talk about ourselves in either regard and be talking about our full selves and yet it's almost like an incomplete self if we're not taking the two in concert and in philippians chapter 1 verses 21 through 24 for to me to live is christ and to die is gain this is the apostle paul writing if i am to go on living in the body this will mean fruitful labor for me yet what shall i choose i do not know i am torn between the two i desire to depart and be with christ meaning depart the physical material um, to be with Christ, which is far better, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So when he leaves the body to go be with Christ, it's still him, and yet there's something incomplete, as we read about in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, about not having our body. So it's a little bit dis disconcerting. This is 930 WFMD and uh, the Faith Debate on News Radio 930 WFMD. Uh, so this is uh, Jude, verses 6 and 7. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulge in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 19 talks about in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Second Peter uh, 2, verse 9, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. First uh, Thessalonians 4, 17, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. And First Corinthians chapter 15 Verses 51 and 52, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. 
So we've provided a broader context of the philosophical arguments and the terms that are used. We've gone through uh, now, uh, I don't know, probably 20, 25 verses of the Bible that um, that are important in the conversation of what happens to us when we die uh, and then what ultimately happens to us when we die at the judgment. Uh, some things that might be help us figure out what that intermediate state might be between death and final judgment day. Uh, these are a majority of the most important verses that get bandied about and talked about uh, in these kinds of discussions. So we've got all that on the table now. So now we can finally get to our question. What happens to us immediately upon death? So we can see by what we've read and what we might already know from being in church, if we are uh, Christians who uh, participate in, in uh, congregations, our bodies after death, they return to dust, as it says in the scripture. They decompose. They, they see corruption. That's another way the Bible uh, talks about it. So that's what happens to our bodies, but our spirits, our souls, which never die, God made our spirits to be forevermore living on. We're made in his image. We have an ongoing spiritual existence in, in that image bearing. Um, they don't die because the spirit, the soul, it has this, this immortal subsistence. And so upon death, the body dies and begins to return to dust, and the spirit goes immediately to return to God. And that might strike you as a little bit like a gobsmack upside the head. Wait a minute. Everybody immediately goes back to return to God, the maker? And I'm arguing and I'm suggesting the Bible argues, yes. Those who are declared righteous in Christ, they are received into the highest heavens, as one of the great Christian confessions puts it. So those who are Christian believers, true elect those chosen and saved by Christ, they immediately are received, they go to be with God, and are received into the highest heavens. Those who are not trusting in Christ's redemption, they're cast into hell. And so a second ago, I just said, yeah, wait a minute, though, but everybody immediately returns to God. And now I'm saying they're cast into hell. What does that mean? Well, that gets into our definitions of what we're, how we're understanding what hell is. So again, the spirits that are in heaven, the spirits in heaven having uh, been, have been deemed perfect in holiness, deemed perfect in holiness because of Christ's perfect record, and he shares all that he has with those who are his. And so those who are Christians are deemed as perfect in holiness. They are then called into, allowed to approach, if you will, the, the favorable presence of the face of God, the favorable presence of God. That's heaven. Wherever you have the unabashed, favorable presence of God, you have heaven. And in heaven, we're living in light and glory. And again, those bodies are decomposing or returning to dust. But at the end, when the body is resurrected, then there's a full redemption of the bodies. And the body and the spirit are again joined. And it's a different kind of a body, we know. It's a spiritual body, a glorified body. Uh, but there's something recognizable and similar to our current bodies. There's, there's some ask, because we know that Jesus was able to you know, eat and drink after he, he rose again, and he, they could see him, and yet it seemed he could pass through walls, he could appear, as, as it were, out of nowhere. Uh, but, so he wasn't always 
necessarily recognizable immediately. He had to make himself recognizable, and yet there was something recognizable about him. So there's something about our bodies that will be the same, but something that will be significantly different. So the saints, that's their experience. They die, and they immediately the spirit, awaiting the resurrection of the body, the spirit immediately goes into the favorable presence of God. The spirit's in hell. Those spirits not accepting God's own payment for their sin. They want to stand on their own record, not Christ's record. And so their own record is not deemed perfect in holiness because none of us on our own record can be deemed perfect in holiness. And so they um, are ushered into the unfavorable presence of God. And where there is the unfavorable presence of God, there is torment and darkness and judgment, full judgment of God on their whole self. Ultimately, the body too and the soul and the spirit. Unfavorable presence of God, that is hell. Now, some Christians haven't maybe been discipled in a way where they understand it that way, but I'm telling you, it's the biblical truth. There is no place that God isn't. God is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, right? He's omnipresent. There is no place you can go where God isn't. So, too many times we think in terms of, well, people go to hell and they're cast out away from God. No, they're cast out away from the favorable presence of God, but they cannot escape God's presence, and so what they experience is the unfavorable presence of God, which is hell. Now, at the last day, those who are God's people shall again have bodies, and our bodies and our spirits will be united together, and this time this union of body and spirit is inseparable, and that will be our existence as we understand what the scriptures tell us forevermore. So those who are in Christ get their bodies, get get new bodies, renew bodies, get their bodies back, however you want to think about that, united with their spirit, their soul, and then that becomes their glorious existence in the favorable presence of God forever. Those who are not God's people, those who have rejected Christ, well, they get their bodies, too, reunited to them with their spirit. But in their case, their bodies are raised to dishonor. They're not raised into honor. They're not raised into perfect holiness. They're raised into dishonor. And some would say that uh, they're raised to eternal torment. Some would say they're raised to be uh, sent into oblivion through annihilation. Uh, That's an entirely different discussion. We could spend an entire hour talking just about whether or not People are annihilated uh, and cease to exist at the final judgment or if they continue to exist in eternal torment uh, uh, forever. But but for our purposes today, the question is what happens to us immediately upon when we die? Immediately there's a separation from the body. The the immaterial and the material separate. The body decomposes. The spirit goes to be with God. Those who are in Christ go to be with God in a favorable way. Those who are not in Christ go to be with God in an unfavorable way. Until down the road whenever the final when Christ returns and there's a final judgment and then there's the next phase which an awful lot of Christian teaching focuses on there's not as much it's not as common to talk about what happens immediately upon death that's more common to talk about what happens at the judgment day and I would say there's a good reason maybe for that
And that's going to put a wrap on this week's edition of the Faith Debate as we're tackling the question, what happens at death? Uh, there's still some more thoughts and some questions that came up during our discussion on this topic that, that steered us uh, to, to expound a little bit more. So we're going to continue to do that and wrap up our discussion next week on what happens to us when we die. Thanks for listening. You can find us online at WFMD.com. Keyword faith gets you there. or Just find the menu, uh, the drop-down menu for shows and click on the faith debate. You can see what's coming up in, in future weeks on the, sh- on the show, what's appeared in recent weeks, going back months on the show. You can find access to all of the podcasts of the show, that sort of thing. You can also find the podcasts. They're always linked on Facebook, on the WFMD Facebook page. I put them on my personal Facebook page as well. You can find me not only on Facebook, but you can find me actually more often on MeWe and Gab and Parlor and places like that. And you can also find information about me and uh, an audio and video and that sort of stuff at a website that I have called Household of Faith in Christ, householdoffaithinchrist.com. Technically, I guess it would be the web address. Anyway, thanks for listening. Till next week, 167 and a half hours from right now. God bless.